Welcome to the Faithful 31 Moms podcast. I'm your host, Mallory Allen. Whether you find yourself in the joys or the messes of mom life, we want to encourage you to remain faithful as you join us every Wednesday in creating a community of real moms, real stories, and real truth based on the Word of God. Welcome to the Faithful 31 Moms podcast. I'm your host, Mallory Allen, and today we have a special guest with me, Rachel Shelb. She's joining us from Tampa, Florida. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited you're here, too. She's going to be talking with us today about grief, whether you're walking through it, whether you have walked through it. I'm sure that we all have in some form or maybe you're walking through it with somebody else. We're going to talk about all of that today. But first, Rachel, why don't you tell us about your family and about what you're passionate about, what you're doing? Okay. Yeah, I would love to. So I have been married to my best friend for, we're coming up in September on 13 years. And we have a nine-year-old son and a four and a half-year-old daughter. Um, my girl started pre-K this past this week and she's very very thrilled to finally be at school um and I'm excited to have two days um you know to kind of do the things I want to do without interruption so that's pretty yes, awesome that's nice um, <laughs> yeah so I um I in my free time I kayak and I do custom sugar cookies and I do all those type of fun things but um my favorite thing to do is we're enough talk about grief and about loving well and I have a podcast that I do called love well on purpose podcast um, it's just about five minutes once a week and we talk about all sorts of different things of ways to love people well um, and then I also write and I'm going to be um, a contributing writer soon for a website that's coming out um, called hopeandgrief.com and so I'm excited for that journey as well so that's just a little bit about what I do and what I'm up to most of the time that's awesome. There's all kinds of fun things in there. You're a mom, you're a kayaker, you're a baker, you're a writer, so many things. I love it. So um, I told Rachel that I was going to surprise her with a couple of fun questions today um, that I like to do when we're getting to know somebody better. And so I'm going to ask her just a couple. She's already told us that she's a writer and a podcaster as well. So I have to ask, because my husband is a major Apple Mac fan, so he got me on that as well. Are you a Mac user or a PC user in all of your writing adventures and your podcasting? I'll be honest. So personally, I am pretty old school, so I would be content with pen and paper. But my husband is the techie one, and he is a Mac guy through and through. So Mac is what I'm writing on all the time. Yes, I, my husband did it to me too. I, I'm the same way. I still like to like keep a traditional calendar and stuff like that, but he wants everything oh, to be technology. All right. What about if we're talking about breakfast? Are you a pancakes person, a waffles person, or you're like, I don't eat bread. This is not my favorite, neither one. What is your favorite breakfast food? Okay, so breakfast is my all time favorite meal. Um, I could do without lunch or dinner, but breakfast. Breakfast is where it's at. Um, <laughs> but a couple, I don't know, maybe it was a year ago at this point, there was like a TikTok trend on doing pancake cereal. And so literally you just pull out your griddle and you do like tons of tiny little like nickel or quarter size pancakes. And then you uh, put it in a skillet with melted butter and then you put it in a bowl and put syrup on top of it instead of like milk. And so it's pancake cereal. 
And that's what we do almost every Saturday. It's our morning, Saturday morning tradition. Yum. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I've never had that. That sounds great. It's really good. And it, I mean, it's just pancakes, like taken down to super tiny doll size, but it's delicious. Hmm. I'll have to try that. My kids would like it. I think being small like that. I think that's fun. Yeah. All right. All right. Pandemic question. It's Tom. Are you still picking up your groceries or do you go in the store and get your groceries now? Um, (laughs) so I, I think, I, I mean, it goes back to the pen and paper type person. I am one of the few that does not enjoy grocery pickup. And the reason for that is because I always, uh, forget something on the order and then I have to go back again. So it's not actually helpful or, um, I'm just like, I don't know. I just, I get nervous that I'm going to be in the wrong spot or they're going to mess up my order or all sorts of things. So I usually would go. Um, and I go when I can get away without my kids, like super early in the morning or super late at night. And that's what I do. Gotcha. I'm the same way, honestly, because I don't like when they change my stuff, like the brands or yeah, like... don't substitute. And I don't, you know, if I put it in wrong and I get like 19 bananas, I don't need that. <laughs> yeah, I totally understand. <laughs> I'm the same way. My mom's like a huge advocate for pickup still. And I'm like, no, I can't do it. I cannot do it. Okay. So if you could give away one house chore, this is a fun one. What would it be? You never had to do it again. Which one would it be? Oh, a thousand percent cleaning bathrooms. <laughs> I would do all the laundry in the world if I never had to clean a bathroom ever again. Okay. Well, we could switch. If we were closer, I'd give you my laundry. I don't mind cleaning your bathroom. So If only we were closer, I would totally take you up on that. <laughs> That's funny. We're all different, but we all have at least one, maybe a couple, honestly, but we all have at least one yes. that we'd like to give away forever. Well, thanks for answering those fun questions for me today, Rachel. I appreciate you hanging in there and being a team player. We always like to get to know people better before we get into the subject that we're going to talk about. But like I said earlier, we are going to be talking about grief today. And you might say, well, how does this apply to me? I think that honestly, especially after talking to Rachel, it applies to everyone because she put it like this, and I like how she said it. You're either a grief supporter, so... You're coming alongside someone like a friend or a family member that's walking through something hard, that they're walking through something where they are grieving, or you might be grieving yourself. And I tried to think about some different subjects that might hit home for different people. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about maybe you're walking through a marriage that's falling apart, or maybe you've already walked through a divorce, or maybe you have a friend that's doing that, or maybe you've walked through a miscarriage or the loss of a child or the loss of a parent or a sibling or a friend. We've all lost people, especially in these last two years. I know that really hits home with a lot of people. And so wherever you're at or wherever you're at with the people that you love, I'm sure that you have someone that you're encountering daily that is grieving. And so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today wherever you find yourself on your journey. But we're going to learn more about Rachel's journey and how the Lord has used that in her life. So I want to let you tell the story, Rachel. Grief has been kind of a big theme in my life um, for most of my life. And I think that one of the things that I um, can really cling to is the fact that um, the idea in in Isaiah 63 that says, um, 
he gives beauty from ashes is really just been so true in my life. I um, grew up in a Christian home, um, great parents that love me the absolute best that they could, but I um, do have a mom with some mental health struggles that she was not medicated for growing up. Um, she is on medication now, um, but that definitely created some challenges and some grief that I didn't even fully process and understand until I became a mom myself. And when I started kind of that motherhood journey, I realized some of the um, the really heavy grief that I kind of took with me um, from growing up and the difficulties that I experienced there. Um, we just hit the anniversary of eight years of losing my brother. He was a combat medic in Afghanistan and um, he took um, some gunfire as he was helping someone else. And so we lost him eight years ago. Um, my son was six months old at the time. And, or no, that's not true, I'm sorry. Um, the last time they met was when he was six months old. My um, son was about a year old when um, he passed away and when Stephen passed away. And so um, that was really difficult because now, you know, I see my kids are, you know, my son's starting fourth grade, my daughter's starting pre-K, and um, my brother's not around to see any of those things, and so that's a lot of grief, and I know that that's something that a lot of people can identify with, is losing those those loved ones like you talked about. Um, something else that we walk through, again, right around that um, eight to nine year um, mark uh, of time, was a failed adoption. Um, my husband and I, we had our son. We thought that we would adopt um, that was kind of what we thought we would do. Uh, it took a while for my husband and I to be on the same page with that and um, to really feel like, yes, that was what our family was called to do. Um, and then we walked down that road for several years and we had a couple of times where we thought, okay, this is it. This is going to be where we get placed. And then um, for whatever reason, those never came through. And so we walked through the failed adoption road. And, um, you know, I I am fortunate to have never had a miscarriage, but I do know what it's like to long for a child to come into your family one way and it not to happen. Um, and so while I would never say that I know exactly what someone with a miscarriage is, um, I honestly, even if I, even if I talk to someone else who's had a failed adoption, I don't know exactly how they're feeling. Um, that's the thing with grief is that every single situation is so, so different and everyone's going to respond in, in their own ways. Um, so we went through failed adoptions, and then um, my husband was a pastor for 12 years, um, and then he recently left full-time ministry, um, and so we experienced some church hurt, and we experienced some um, some grief with some of those type of things, um, not only when we would leave churches and um, we would grieve kind of the, the awesome people that we left behind, but also um, the events that kind of led us to leaving full-time ministry. We have grieved those things, and um and so I think that really grief is something that we don't talk about nearly enough. Um, we don't normalize grief nearly the way that we should because grief is a part of life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so I think that that's really um, so important to keep in mind is the fact that um, grief is a part of life, but there can be beauty that comes from that. There can be joy that comes in the middle of grief. And um, so it was about probably a year ago that I was like, okay, God, fine. I will write a book on grief. If we can normalize grief, if we can look at grief and say, you know, grief is not just physical loss. 
grief is like you mentioned, it can be strained marriages. It can be um, the diagnosis of a child with um, special needs or um, neurodivergent behaviors or those type of things um, that are not bad things, right? It, I'm not saying if you have a child with a special needs diagnosis, that that's a bad thing. Those children bring such joy and, and such wonderfulness to our lives in society. But there is going to be some grief that comes with this as you see children that are neurotypical meeting, you know, these these milestones and your child's not there yet. Um, that brings grief. And so I think that when we kind of realize that grief exists all throughout life, then then it becomes okay to talk about and then we get to support one another in in different ways. Um, and so I, I submitted finally to God and I was like, okay, God, fine. I'll write a book on grief. I'll do it. <laughs> and um, so I have, I have written a book on grief. I'm still um, talking with God regularly on how that book is coming out into the world. Um, and hopefully there will, that will be fairly soon coming out. But in the meantime, I'm, I'm trying to be faithful to just talk, um, you know, on podcasts like this one and on my social media and blogs and um, those type of things and just talk about um, grief and how we can be grief supporters. And I liken it to um, grief being a relay race. And if I am watching a relay race, if I am going to some sort of sports event and I'm watching runners or I'm watching a football team or I'm watching any type of sporting event, you are going to stay in the, in the stands, right? You're going to watch these people. You're going to be on the sidelines cheering on the person that you want to have win. Right. And in the same way, we want to be on the, on the stands, in the sidelines, all of those things and cheering on the person that's in grief and saying, Hey, I'm here. I'm with you. What do you need? How can I help you? And we don't want to leave. And there's going to be times where, you know, if you're at a football game, you, there's going to be times where you have to go to the restroom or you have to go get a concession stand or you have to do those things. And in the same way for a grief journey, there's times where you kind of have to step away for a little bit for your own self-care because maybe you're going through some stuff and that's fine. And so I think sometimes we think that we either have to be all in or not at all. And that's not necessarily true either. When we realize that it's a relay race and we want to be in the stands, we can say, okay, I need a breather. Let me step back for a minute. And then I'm going to come right back in and cheer that person on and say, hey, you've got this. Grief is hard. It stinks, but you can do it. God's got you and I'm here for you. And when we have that mentality, then it allows us to be really quality grief supporters. It allows us to love really, really well. Um, grief supporters are so crucial. And so I will shout that from the rooftops until I no longer have a voice. Grief supporters are so, so needed. I totally agree with you. I do have a question. Um, I think yeah. something that you said is so, I don't know, it just hit home with me. Um, when you were talking about grief and walking through those stages and those different steps as being um, like being someone that is supporting and you're in the stands and you're cheering them, them on, you're being there for whatever they need, walking through those different stages with them. And you said that it is healthy sometimes to take a step away. And the reason that I'm asking is because Personally, um, I've shared this with my listeners before, but 
my mom at the beginning of 2020 had a brain tumor and she lived through that. But then the next this year in 2021, my brother-in-law had one in March Mm. and it was just like a double hit. Um, And just a lot of different things in between that in their stages of walking through it, if you will, um, and accepting some things. And so I kind of felt or still feel like I've been in the stands cheering them on, being whatever they need, et cetera. And I understand what you're saying about like pulling back on occasion to be healthy for yourself so that you can be your best for them when you, when you step back in kind of like a little halftime or something like that. Yeah, and exactly. S- and so like, what would you, I guess my question is if somebody's listening and they have walked through something with a friend, like what you're talking about, special needs. I've had several people I've interviewed. That's absolutely true. They are a blessing from the Lord, but it's also something that you can grieve or a failed adoption or a miscarriage or a failed marriage, anything. And they're walking through that with a friend that's walking through it. And what would you suggest, like the language that you would use to someone? Because you can't just like all of a sudden fall off the planet for like, two weeks and say nothing and then come back. You know what I mean? Like, what do you say to someone in like practical advice when they are a supporter and they are taking a little time out to come back? What kind of language would you use to be like supportive still, but also like communicate that to them because I feel like that is hard for people to figure out like we get overwhelmed with that so that we either just stop talking to them or we can't stop and it's not healthy if that makes sense that is incredibly true and that's a great way to put that and that definitely I think is what happens is I think sometimes we get overwhelmed ourselves and we don't know the words to say and so we we kind of just stop And that really is a disservice to both sides, right? Because then we feel guilty about that for a long time. And that's not, that's not the intent either. Um, So I think that's, that's a phenomenal question. I think that um, when we are commuting, communicating with a griever, our responsibility is to be honest and clear and kind and loving. Um, And so whatever you say, as long as it is laced with kindness and understanding, um, it can't be said wrong. With that being said, grievers are going through their own unique pains and their own unique things. And so if they're stuck right now in the middle of an anger um, cycle of the grief relay, they may say some things that are hurtful to you. They may accuse you of not caring. They may um, be unkind towards you. And we have to be able in those moments to separate their grief from them Mm -hmm. and recognize that in those moments, that's their grief talking. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it makes sense that they feel like one more person is leaving them. One more person is walking out, you know, one more thing, right? It makes sense if they lash out at you. And so I think sometimes um, we can get offended as grief supporters and be like, why don't they understand that? I just need a break. It's not that I don't love them. Well, they're going through their own stuff. Thank you for answering that. Cause that's just something that I thought, well, I have that question. So I bet a lot of people would want to know more about that because I'm sure that everyone finds themselves in those situations, you know, quite often yeah. with different people in their life. So that was really helpful. And also on that note, I am so sorry for what y'all have gone through over the past year plus of walking through all those health scares with family and man, that's a lot to deal with. Well, I mean, it is, but like you said, I mean, 
<laughs> there's been so many people with so many health scares over the last yeah. year and a half. And so I know that that'll hit home, whether it's COVID or cancer or who knows? Absolutely. I mean, it could be anything. It doesn't even have to be sickness, I realize, but I just know there has been a lot of that in the last year and a half. So, um, but Absolutely. that was a great answer and I, I found it really helpful. So I hope that all of you out there did as well. And I stopped her to ask her that question because I thought it would be something really valuable to learn from you, Rachel. And it, it totally was. But I know that you had said that you were going to share some verses with us, which I'm really excited about because she told me what the verses were, but she has not shared with me like the complete meanings and, and all those things. So I am kind of sitting on the edge of my chair too, to learn <laughs> what she's going to say about them. So um, I want her to share that as kind of like a takeaway for us all today to leave like encouraged, but also challenged and know that the Lord, he does not keep that from the Bible. Like it's all through the Bible, like in James, when you face trials of many kind, like it's all throughout the Bible that it tells us like we will face these things. So we will experience grief. And so I know that it'll hit home in different ways for all kinds of different situations and different people, but share with us what you um, have studied over this course of time that you've been writing your book. These were some verses that have been impactful for me for my entire life, but it's probably only been in the past couple of years that I've really um, become a word nerd and dive, dived, dove, whatever the past, the tense is for that. Um, <laughs> I, it's been, it's been about two years since I've really dug in deep for what these verses mean and um, in the original language and how impactful they really can be. Um, I'm a big proponent of not using scripture to uh, be a platitude for someone in grief. Um, scripture has its place. Scripture is the word of God. Scripture never returns void. It is important and useful if we understand the meaning of it. And um, I could go into deep dives into what I mean by that. But what I mean on the surface is be cautious when you throw out scripture verses to someone who is in the new throes of grief and when they are just starting their grief journey. Um, because sometimes it can sound really insensitive to say, well, God has a plan. Well, of course he has a plan. <laughs> you know, no Christian that's going through grief is going to question whether he has a plan. It's just a matter that they don't like the plan right now, right. you know? And so right. um, we want to be cautious as we use these verses because it's not a quick fix bandaid. Um, but there is truth that, that these grieving hearts do need. And so as I've dug in deep to these, um, three of them really stick out to me. Um, so growing up, I would have said that my life first, um, and maybe still to this day, is 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9. Um, and the ESV says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Now, I am... I grew up Southern Baptist, and so I learned it in King James Version. And the reason <laughs> I'm telling you that is because it's important to notice two different things. So King James Version says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. Little, little uh, differences in that, mainly in the word crushed. So ESV says we are not crushed, and uh, King James says not distressed. And distressed is actually the more accurate word for that, um, because it means that we are not um, stressed out by it, basically. So we have troubles, but we're not stressed out by it. Um, and in a second, we'll talk about why I don't like that word crushed, um, 
because there's another one that uses another verse that uses that word in a, in a more true um, thing. But this is why sometimes translations, it's good to look at translations and look at their meanings. Um, because, you know, this verse is so helpful to know that we are going to face hard times, but with Christ on our side, we are not ever going to be to the point that we are utterly destroyed. We are not going to be forsaken. God promises that he does not leave us or forsake us. And so in this verse, and it says we are persecuted, but not forsaken. Um, you know, persecution is promised, but we're also promised that we're not going to be forsaken. Um, you know, in the second part of verse eight, it says we are perplexed, but not in despair. We can ask God all sorts of questions. We can say, God, what in the world are you doing? And when you look all throughout Psalms and you see David and the psalmist lamenting, they ask God a lot of questions. And they're like, have you left me? Have you left me to die, to be eaten by the lions? Like all sorts of like pretty dramatic things that they're asking. Um, but the key is that they're not driven to despair because of it. And we are allowed to ask God all sorts of questions um, when we're going through grief. And the key for us as grief supporters is to allow a safe place for the griever to ask the questions and then also remind them that they don't have to despair because God does have them. God is holding them even if they don't understand. And so I think that this verses, these two verses are really, really encouraging um, for someone who is on that grief journey to be able to share with them and say, hey, maybe put this on your bathroom mirror. Maybe maybe you yourself as a grief supporter, write it down for them and, and have it printed up and, and hand it to them or write it in a card or something so that they can have that and be reminded, yes, I'm gonna have troubles. I'm gonna be afflicted. I'm gonna have these issues, but but it's not the end. This does not have to be the end for me. The grief doesn't have to end here. There can be joy. There can be good things that come from that. Um, and so I think this is a really great verse to be able to share um, with grievers. Yeah. Um, Psalm 34, 18 is another one I absolutely love. Um, it's not my favorite. We'll get to my favorite in a minute, but <laughs> Psalm 34, 18 is one that I guarantee you, if you've grown up in church, you have heard it. And it is the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Um, and so that's why I was talking about um, the ESV version of second Corinthians four, eight and nine talks about crushed, but it's not quite the right word. But in this verse, Psalm 34, 18, it is a legitimate crushed, like think this, we're moms here. Think about when you remove your car seat from the seat itself and you lift it up and you see all of the crushed Cheerios and goldfish <laughs> oh, and like yeah. all the things, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, I promise I do clean my house and my car and my everything. But like, I mean, that spot is just like, I don't know, maybe like, you know, in Lion King where um, Simba and, and uh, what's his name? His dad are looking out over the all this land and they talk about um, where the light everywhere the light touches is yours. Uh -huh. I feel like underneath the car seat is like that dark spot, like the elephant graveyard <laughs> that you just don't talk about. Um, <laughs> right. And so, <laughs> so use that picture when you read this verse or hear this verse the next time, this being brokenhearted and crushed. Um, the word sabar is the word for brokenhearted and the word daka is for crushed. And what it literally means is crushed to a powder. So, I mean, it is like the spots underneath your car seat. It yeah. is crushed to this fine powder. Um, so it is not just like, I'm kind of sad right now. 
it is a brokenhearted, destroyed, crushed, feel like I can't ever pick myself back up and put myself back together type of feeling. And so when you are going through that grief or you have a friend that's going through that grief and you can explain this verse and say, hey, this verse says literally when you're crushed to a powder, this isn't just like, you know, getting out the super glue and putting back the broken part of the teacup back together and making it look right. This is like crushed beyond recognition. When you feel that way, the Lord is near and he saves you. Mm, I love that. That's great. I mean, how powerful is that? How incredible is that to think that, um, you know, I don't use the word like brokenhearted or crushed in spirit to to describe myself very often. That's not generally how we speak a lot. But when we do say that we're brokenhearted, we usually do mean that in the sense of feeling crushed. Mm -hmm. But the Lord is near then when we're beyond recognition, when we don't even know how to where to begin or what to do that's when the Lord is near. And um, man, that one's just incredibly encouraging to me. That's a better Um, idea to share with somebody too. Like it was Psalm 34, 18, if y'all didn't hear it and I'll put these all in the show notes, but that is such a better verse to share with someone than something like, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11. Like I know (laughs) the plans I have for you and all these things, because I've heard countless times of people that I've talked to that have walked through really hard things, a lot of loss. They are like a wet spot on the floor and, you know, don't see how they're going to put themselves back to normal even at all. And, you know, when someone tells them, well, this is the Lord's plan or the Lord has a plan for you, like you were saying, I've heard so many people say that to me that have walked through really hard things. And I think a lot of times we don't mean anything by it. We're thinking we're being encouraging, but really we're not because that's not what they need to hear in that moment. And something like this verse is so much more appropriate, I think, for someone that's walking through that. You know, anytime someone throws out platitudes or scripture that is kind of like well-known type of um, Bible verses, they always are meaning that to be helpful. Um, No one has ever said um, it could be worse, right? Meaning that to be like, suck it up and get over it. That's not what they mean. They mean like, hey, like, look, try to find the silver lining, right? But that's not really what people need. But this type of a verse that says, hey, like, it's okay that you're crushed beyond recognition. And it's okay that you feel like you can't go and take another step. Like God is near to you right now. Um, and then the my favorite verse, I, don't, I can't say my favorite verse of all time, but my favorite verse in terms of talking about grief is probably Psalm 56, 8. Um, psalm 56 is a psalm of lament. And it wasn't really until I started talking about grief and really looking at grief that I realized how many psalms are psalms of lament. And that lament is really healthy. Um, I was kind of always brought up to, or I don't even know that I was brought up. I just kind of always tended to push my feelings aside and stuff them down and not acknowledge them. And so um, for me, psalms of lament are kind of like everything that I want to say but can't say. Um, and so Psalm 56, eight says, I remember finding it when I was in middle school and crying into pillows every night. And it said, you have kept count of my tossing, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And that kind of seems weird. I get it. That's kind of seems like a strange verse maybe. Um, but the imagery of putting tears in a bottle really just resonated with me. 
And then I found out in like later high school, early college, um, that putting tears in a bottle was an actual practice. It still is practiced in some parts, um, remote parts in the Middle East. Um, it was practiced in um, England and those, and even some in America up through the Victorian age. Uh, but literally at the time that the psalmists were writing this, it would have been that as someone is dies in the family or whatnot, you would, if you had the money, you would pay professional mourners. And if you didn't have the money, you would just, you know, get all of your dramatic women in your family who can cry buckets at the drop of a hat. And you would have a small bottle and the bottle would not have a um, stopper in it, in the lid. And so it would just be kind of like a stick in type of glass um, lid that would go into the bottle. And you would uh, literally hold this the small t uh, glass bottle up to your eyes and cry into it. And they would pass it around um, during the time when you think of like sitting Shiva or something like that. Uh, they would pass it around and do all of this mourning and all of this weeping and wailing and fill up this bottle with tears. <laughs> I've never heard that. Wow. Yeah. And so the significance of that is that there's not a stopper in the lid. And so over time, obviously, especially if you're in a hot, arid place, those tears are going to dissolve. And when those tears dissolve, the mourning period is fully over. It is time to get back to life. It is time to start back to all your activities. It is time to take off the mourning clothes and to just proceed with life. And so when it's talking about in Psalm 56, 8, that God puts our tears in a bottle, it is saying that he is holding them close and he has them. But if you think about Revelation 21, where it says there's going to be a time where there is no more tears and no more mourning and no more sorrow, and no more sickness and no more pain and no more all of that grief stuff, then what we see is this picture that God collects our tears. He holds them close. But those tears, that grief does not last forever. We are promised that if we know the Lord, that there is a time where that mourning period fully and completely is over. And our grief will 100% come to an end. Not just we've accepted that that's our reality and that's part of our story, but it will be washed away and wiped clean. And so to me, the imagery in this verse is incredibly powerful and incredibly comforting to someone who feels like maybe the tears won't stop and it's just grief after grief after grief happening in their life. Mm, that's powerful. Wow. I, I had no idea that that's what that meant. So I love how you explain that. And just the the promise that we can not only like experience like understanding and joy that like surpasses our understanding, like from the Lord, but like also that there's a promise that we don't have to grieve anymore and that whoever we're walking through grief with that they won't have to anymore if they have a relationship with the Lord. That's a huge, huge promise to hold on to. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's really, I mean, it's more powerful than any words I could conjure up on my own, you know? Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us today. How can our listeners follow you on social media? Yeah, uh, they can follow me at rachelshelb.com. They can sign up for my um, email list. I email out about once a month with just kind of a recap of all the things that maybe they missed and some of my favorite things and those type of things. Um, so they can join me there. They can also find me on Instagram at Rachel Shelb. And um, I'm on there quite a bit 
And you never know what I'm going to be sharing in the story. Sometimes it's ridiculousness like painting my wall. And sometimes it's going to be um, things about grief and who knows. So I would love it if you would find me over there as well. And then the last, I did mention it, but I do have a podcast called Love Well on Purpose podcast. Um, it's five minutes. It comes out on every Friday and um, you can find it anywhere that podcasts are heard. Okay, awesome. And I will have the spelling of her name and her podcast and those verses that she mentioned and all those things on faithful31moms.com in the blog area as our show notes and also a link to listen to this podcast if you want to share it with someone. So that was faithful31moms.com. I hope that you all have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We hope that you walk away feeling uplifted and encouraged, maybe even challenged on how you can love your people better. Thanks. Have a good day. Faithful 31 Moms is produced in association with Love Worth Finding Ministries built on the profound biblical teaching of Pastor Adrian Rogers. Please visit our website, faithful31moms.com, for all interview show notes. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Faithful31Moms. That's faithful31moms.com.